Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 72 of the Pay to Play podcast. Frank Geib here with James Edukowski. It is Monday night, just after 8.45 p.m. Monday night football is on its way. We got the Rams taking on the Bears, uh, and we got plenty of sports talk to go over today. We're talking NCAA football, NFL, a little PGA action, um, and obviously, James, we're going to get right into it with the MLB. We are in a classic World Series right now. Game six is going to be Tuesday night between the Rays and the Dodgers. The Dodgers hold a 3-2 lead. What is going on in this series? Give us the rundown. It's, it's been balls to the wall all all day long in this series. The overs were 4-0 and in games one through four, and game four is the one that people talk about for years to come in terms of the craziness that we saw in that game, uh, whether it be the lead changes uh, with the Dodgers kind of holding a 4-2 lead, three-run shot by Brandon Lau, uh, sends the Rays in front, Dodgers battle back, and uh, Corey Seager gives them the lead in that eighth inning, I believe, to go go up. And then it was a, a series of miscues in that outfield, uh, at the outfield and Will Smith at the catching position. That's a, that's a replay I could watch endlessly. Uh, and honestly, it's it's that's me being biased because I was betting on the race at that point. It was an insane comeback. Um, but that is literally what not to do 101. I guarantee you baseball coaches all over will show, you know, from the center fielder's perspective and from the catching perspective, end of a game, it's it comes down to fundamentals. And the Dodgers are not a bad fielding team by any means. It was very uncharacteristic of them. But that just the way that game went, it seemed like something was in the air uh, where the Rays, you know, being three down three one in a series is typically a death sentence, and that you know that gave them life. Uh, but what do the Dodgers come come out and do after the Rays have that huge momentum swing in Game Five? They they put their you know you know what on the table, if you will, uh, and that you know we see our first under of the series uh, and a great pitching performance by none other than Clayton Kershaw. And then the Dodger bullpen uh, did not disappoint. After Kenley Jansen had blown it the first night, manager Dave Roberts went ahead and said, "You know what, Blake Trinan, you're going to be our guy." So. I think both these bullpens are so talented in terms of they have guys that have had experience at the back end of the games. It comes up to a, a managerial, um, you know, who goes where. It's playing chess, man. And I'll tell you what, it's been, as a baseball nerd myself, it's been beautiful to watch. I think I think the rest of the world, even not, you know, casual baseball fans or just sports fans, I think they're able to get some enjoyment out of this. I can't speak for them because, uh, like I said, I'd be happy with most series, but I think this has been pretty darn entertaining. Yeah, I, I consider myself more of a casual baseball fan, um, and I, I've been tuned into every single game of this series. I mean, it's just been great baseball. Um, I guess I guess we got to talk about a Rosarina um, for the Rays breaking the record as a rookie for most home runs in a postseason. Um, just very impressive, and I, I loved your tweet actually because he was the the game winning run in, in uh, Game Four uh, that he he pulled the Daniel Jones rounding third heading for home trips over himself but he gets back up starts starts for third again to get in a pickle and then he realizes will smith did not catch the ball at home and he just goes and dives head first beautiful beautiful to see but yeah the dodgers got it done in game five and they can clinch it tomorrow night what are you looking at in game six uh, i'll tell you what one more thing on a rosarina it's impressive that not only He's broken that record for home runs as a rookie. Also for hits, he came out and in his first four postseason games, he had extra base hits, uh, like multiple, I think double, or multiple hits in each of those games. So he started the postseason hot and he's still finishing hot too. So he's been the, the lifeblood of that lineup for the Rays where there hasn't been a ton of other help. 
But, I mean, what else can you say about that guy coming in? And, and it was a trade that, you know, some people talked about. that The guy that was exchanged for, my cousin Michael Moore brought it up, he was traded to the Rays, um, you know, basically before this season. And the the Cardinals better the, – the guy that they got in return, he better show up to be something because what a Rosarina's putting on is absolutely a clinic uh, from a hitting perspective. Uh, you know, the Cardinals got back a 20-year-old first-round draft pick pitcher – uh, so, you know, the best is still yet to come for him. But Rosarina has been that much of a talent and a treat to watch. Yeah, he screwed up big time. Had he gotten thrown out there, who knows the way that game could have ended. But uh, you know what? Sometimes it is a uh, game of inches. I don't know. Well, in game five, actually, they tried stealing home on Kershaw. And it, it was basically a game of inches. I'm, I'm surprised the Rays didn't try to challenge that. But, I mean, it, it seemed like the right call. It didn't seem like anything they would overturn. Uh, based on video review, but I love trying to steal home people. Uh, some of our friends were like, that was a dumb idea. I was like, I don't know against Kershaw. He's got that long, long windup early before the pitch. It was, it was really great play by Kershaw. I thought to get the out. Yeah. They asked him in an interview after the game, uh, were you ready for that? Or, you know, what did that catch you off guard? And obviously not to the extent that he stepped off the mound. A lot of pitchers would balk in that situation. He goes, you know, they've done it to me before he named the guy. He's like, so there's a moment in his mind where he got bon- or burned with it before, and he, he was prepared for it on the biggest stage. So hat tip to Kershaw. I, I think he's kind of silencing that debate about a bad postseason pitcher. Um, you know, that's that's not what I'm here to argue right now, Frank. And I think you and I are both on the you and I are both on the side of what he's done this postseason specifically has been special. Um breaking the record for most K's in postseason history. Uh, you know, in his career, he has the sixth most innings pitched in the postseason that's pretty special to to be at uh, at the age of 32 uh, he will probably be back to a couple more and, and he very well could have run away with that then again justin verlander is the guy that now fell into number two he probably hasn't seen his last postseason yet either but he's a he's a little bit older than kershaw so to that extent uh you know tip the cap to him and him silencing a lot of those doubters um you know going out there and Really, I, I think commanding the zone uh, as effectively as I've seen him in some time. Um, all right, enough blabber on the past. Let's talk game six. Uh, some of you guys will probably listen to this before game six. It, our kudos to you because you're going to know the inside scoop and in, in at least what I would bet uh, as a betting man. Um, so we have Blake Snell on the hill for the Tampa Bay Rays. He went four and two-thirds in his first start um, of this series, struck out nine. Uh, his over-under for K's in game one was five and a half. Uh, so I, I was on it then. I, the, the market will react. It's, I think it'll be six and a half, seven. But that also, to be noted, he's going to have a shorter leash because the, the back's against the wall for the raise. So that's the risk that you take there. I probably wouldn't take it at seven. If it's at six and a half and you know close to even odds, I'd be interested. Um, so we'll see where that's at. I'll, I'll update people on Twitter tomorrow. I, it is my favorite bet. I, I love strikeouts just because, you know, you could still go out there and, you know, give up a home run or something. Your team has lost the lead. But even Glasnow uh, in game five, you know, gave up two runs, struck out five, struck out the first three hitters. I, I don't know if he ended up hitting his uh, total. But to that extent, Blake Snell, I think, has the edge on the mound in this game over t- Tony Gonsolin, uh, the rookie pitcher for the Dodgers. He only went one and a third in his uh, start in the World Series. Dave Roberts had a very short leash, essentially turned it into a bullpen game. Would not be shocked to see something very similar. Um, and, and Frank, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I saw Kershaw get yanked last night after 85 pitches. 
Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he's done in the series if it goes to seven. I think you could Ooh. see him come in in game seven. Like There are people saying, why is he getting pulled at this point? But the Dodger bullpen did a great job. That would be a very quick turnaround. But the way he's pitched, I could see that. Let's just say the Rays win game six. I could see, you know, in a weird world, him him being back on that hill. Um, but like I said, pitching matchup goes to the Rays. Uh, I'm assuming the over is probably going to be about eight again. That's what it's been most of the series. I think backs against the wall for the Rays. They, what have they done every single time that they've met, been met with adversity? I, they've answered the bell. And, and you know what? Someone's gotten that hit for them. Usually, usually it's been Randy. Uh, but the rest of that lineup, like, you know, G-Man Choi hasn't done that much. Uh, in this series, um, Yanni Diaz has done a good job getting on base. Kevin Kiermeyer also, and, and you know Brett, Phillips, Brett Phillips. We've gone this long into the episode without talking about his name. He might not play the rest of the series. I think you know, like he he had his moment to shine in Game Four and he rose to the occasion. Um, but it seems like there there's enough people on that bench that could do what he did. That I kind of like them in Game Six. I, as a fan, yes, I'm rooting for Game Six. Or for a game seven anyway, but it just has that type of feel like it's a it's a legendary series. You know the TV markets want it because people will be tuned into a game seven on a Wednesday night. <laughs> uh, like I don't know, I, I, there's a lot of things pointing me towards that, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see the way it ends up. I think it should be fun. I don't. What are your thoughts on it? I know I just rambled for a little bit. I'm thinking raise in seven. You think they what a turn, it's going to be a historic turnaround for the Rays. ESPN's giving them a 12% chance to win the series right now. I love it. 2020, anything can happen. The, uh, the last I saw, the odds for the series were Dodgers like minus 500, Rays plus 400. I think here's my here's my tip. If you even remotely believe in the Rays for game six, take the series take, price. Take, take the series bet. Take the series bet, and then you know what? Make up your mind with game seven. Um, if you if you're able to get that, so I think there's a lot of value there. That if they go to Game Seven, it's going to be Charlie Morton versus Walker Bueller. Uh, Morton got blown up a little bit his first time, but he also still hit his strikeouts. But it was over uh, <laughs> over five and a half. He got to six. Um, so that that's always something I'll keep my eye on. But no, that would be a dream to get Charlie Morton versus Walker Bueller, kind of the young gun versus the vet. Uh, not respectively there. Morton's being the vet. Sorry. Um, yeah, well, you you mentioned uh, you mentioned Kershaw can maybe get a, a pitch in uh, Game Seven at some point too, and he actually pitched in Game Seven when they played the Astros, I think, in 2017, um, through innings like three through six. So he, he yeah he came in off the bench in that game as his third appearance in the series. So not a bad idea by you. I actually like that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm just hoping for good baseball. It's been a great series, so hopefully more of the same. I am too, and I think. Uh, you know, we got our under. I was looking for aggression in the mean on the totals in terms of why would they not inflate these totals a little bit. So we finally got an under. I think I'm ready to go back on the over, too. I think, uh, you know, like I said, Snell, and it, he had a pretty good start, but they kind of yanked him early. And these bullpens have just been so good for so long for both teams that I think, you know, we're due to see them kind of crack a little bit here. I mean, we've seen it kind of earlier in the series, Game 4 especially. Um, but... I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm pumped up. I've, I've loved this every bit of the series. It's been just what we needed. I love that there's 11,000 fans in the stands there or whatever, because it, it seems kind of like a legit atmosphere, uh, there in globe life park. So I think that's all I got on the world series, Frank. I know that was a good amount of baseball talk, probably more than we usually do, but 
Uh, I, I think, are you ready for a little football? Oh, I'm ready. The Big Ten is back. Ohio State football is back. And upsets are back. Did you, I mean, James, we got we to first talk about that Penn State-Indiana finish in overtime. I mean, did you think he was in? As as a Penn State better in that game? No, no, I don't. Um, and it's it's really, I mean, you look and there was not conclusive evidence. That's one of those calls you you they called him out on the field. He would have been they would not have given him the touchdown. It it looked as if you stopped the camera. Um, you know, you you know, everyone tries to do their little freeze frame to show their point. <laughs> uh, it looked like the tip of the ball was touching the white um, of the sideline, and that the rest of the ball is kind of angled up. But that that tip very well could have been over the um, inside or something the, or the the inside plane, yeah, because it was inside the pylon, but it was like it had not crossed the pylon obviously because it hit it after uh, the ball had already hit the ground. So I didn't think he was in, but to that extent, you know what, hat tip to Indiana and Michael Penix or whatever his name is for lunging. Yep. That that was a he went full extension, gave it all he had. Um, and, and I think, you know, Penn State didn't play like they deserved to win that game anyway. Uh, they they sort of did down the stretch, but I'll tell you what, Indiana is a scrappy bunch, and they vaulted themselves into the top 25. Yeah, they're one ahead of Penn State, ranked at 17 right now. Penn State's ranked 18th. Um, and the Buckeyes covered very, very nicely against Nebraska, had a great second half. Um, and the Buckeyes are going to be heading to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. 13-point favorites are the, the the away team. I like Ohio State to cover still. I, I don't I don't think we played our best football in week one, and, and I don't think Penn State is is that great. But, you know, they are going to be motivated coming off a tough loss like that. Oh, without a doubt. I would be shocked if they played remotely as bad as they did against Indiana. Like the thing is they played that bad and they still came down to, you know, a controversial call to almost win that football game. So there's talent on that roster, no doubt about it, but they're a little bit depleted. Like journey Brown was uh, held out for the entire season due to, a, I believe it was a heart issue. You know, he's a guy that a very talented playmaker on the outside and it's up to I can't pretend I know their roster that well as compared to years past, but they need somebody to step up for Sean Clifford um, cause, you know, I saw a couple drop passes in that game last week as well. So I think they will rise to the occasion. And it's not going to be a walk in the park for Ohio State, uh, who struggles to cover in Happy Valley per Mike Matthews. Don't know the exact uh, stats on that. Which the last two trips there? Yeah, I, that makes sense to be honest. Because you know, the one of those two trips they lost in overtime. So, um, or was that overtime, or am I just making something up? I don't know. We've always had some great games at Penn State. At Penn State, I feel like so, probably. So even at home, yeah, they always, yeah, they always seem to give us a run for our money. We'll see if that rings true this year. Um, I will be very interested. So, you know, me, Frank, I'm a Phil Steele. Uh, I, at least I was a, a purist that I believed in his picks. They've been off on the year, and last week he he had three picks, and he guaranteed a winning week. Otherwise, he was going to give uh, everyone free access to his uh, website and his computer's picks for like a week subscription. Guess what? His picks went one, one and two. Uh, so <laughs> everyone will have – there's a free code that you can enter in. I think if you go to philsteel.com and the, the code is all one word, Plus. So on Friday night, I will be diving in to see what his computer says because he does his own forecast in association with the computer. Um I know Odd Shark had Ohio State, Penn State at a 20 point differential. They had Ohio State winning by 20. You and I both like the spread at 13. 
I think it's probably going to move more in Ohio State's favor just due to the money that the books will take in on them. Um, but even then, uh, you know what? This this is a game that has the feel of you're not – I don't think you're ever going to be comfortable as a spread better. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Um, let's look at the rankings. We got Clemson at top, 6-0. and So they're already in week seven of their season while the Buckeyes are in week two. A couple teams are even in week one. Alabama 5-0 and just lost their best player, Jalen Waddell, to a season-ending injury. And the Buckeyes are number three, and then the Fighting Irish number four is Edge. Um, I know, I know, you're not a huge fan always, but they've looked pretty talented, and they get Clemson in two weeks. Yeah, that's one that, believe me, both teams have circled on the calendar. Notre Dame, I was not high on. Uh, you know, I, I typically am not high on, especially when they had their game against Louisville a couple weeks ago, and they won it twelve to seven. You want to tell me a top five team in the country scores twelve <laughs> points? Come on, come on. I, I let Dan Ertle, our former Lockies host, hear it after that one. But then then they come out this past week and they put Pitt in the ground, 45-3. to three. Uh, Ian Book um, was playing well. didn't have a quarterback. That's also true. Yeah, Pitt's, Pitt's not – they're not the gold standard for what, like, you know, a big win should look like. But, hey, you know what? Notre Dame came out and they took care of business. So, no, I think the Irish right now, you, you could sl- slide them in there as a playoff contender this year. Uh, that Clemson game, I think even if they put up like a, a pretty good fight, like if they end that within a one possession game, uh, you know, their, their strength of schedule this year playing in the ACC might warrant, uh, you know, consideration for the playoff, depending on how the SEC shakes out. Um, you know, Georgia will play Florida here. So if they get a second loss, they're not going to be in a good spot. Uh, Oklahoma State is the kind of the lone Big 12 representative still going. They, they clock in at number six, I believe. Uh, they're still stringing string together an undefeated season. Uh, Cincinnati, close behind them. They get yeah, a couple of random teams. You got Cincy uh, ranked seventh. You got BYU, 6-0, and ranked 11th. How about this? Number 19, you got Marshall, the Thundering Herd, 5-0. and And right behind them, Coastal Carolina, also 5-0. and So, uh, you know, I hope I hope a couple of those teams run the table and maybe get a chance at an invite to uh, to the playoff. That's I'd love to, I want to see a, a smaller school get invited eventually. That would be a pipe dream, especially the way the last couple of years have gone in terms of that. Even the fourth team, whether it's Oklahoma, they usually get their socks blown off them by the number one team. Uh, but no, that'd be, you know, it, if there was ever a year for it, it'd be 2020. Uh, I'll tell you exactly. that. So, no, I, I, I like the – that's easily something that I can get behind. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so, no, I think the, the college football season has shaped up and been about all you can ask for as a, a collegiate fan. Um, you know, minus being in the stadium and, you know, being able to tailgate as, as you normally would. But I think people are still finding enjoyment out of it uh, as best they can. All right. Let's, let's do a quick rundown of a little NFL talk. Really, I just want to talk about the Browns. Um, of course you do. Of course I do. We're five and two, James. I mean, I, I keep saying it to myself, like just throughout the day, like in my head, like, wow, we're five and two. Wow, we're five and two. And I just think the Baker Mayfield haters need to relax a little bit. I think he has proven enough, even though he's had a couple bad games. He's in his third year in his third third offense. He's going to have bad games. He's, he was playing superior teams. And I, I get that we want to be perfect and we, we want to compete for a Super Bowl this year. But I just am so happy that we are 5-2. and two. I don't know. What, what's, your, what's your take on the Browns right now? And I love that we disagree on this. Guys. Odell is out for the season. That, that really hurts. Yeah, no, that, that one stings without question. But, you know, you lose arguably your most talented receiver. I think Landry's right up there with him. 
But you lose a guy like that, there's no one that can replace him. You can have a bunch of guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, do all they can to you know step up and try and fill those shoes, but no one's going to be able to make a defense give the attention that OBJ would normally command. Um, but I'm glad we do disagree on Baker uh, because you know no one wants to listen to a podcast where you got two guys, uh, Cleveland fans, both stroking them off. Uh, because guess what? He, uh, quite frankly, last the, the second half of what we watched uh, this past weekend was special. You know, when he strings together 22 out of 23 completions, five touchdowns. Really 22 in a row. The one was a spike. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, I'm, I'm just reading the box for you. Don't, <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. Um, I know. What he did, really, it, it showed signs of kind of, you know, his rookie season when he was, you know, he, he, he looked like an NFL quarterback. I would argue for much of last year, several of the early games this season, he's kind of been the one holding us back, it seems. Not necessarily as if he's the worst. I, I'm not saying he's like a bottom 10 quarterback in the league, but he looks so pedestrian sometimes. And even in that first quarter against the Bengals, uh, they were throwing looks at him where he, you know, he starts chopping his feet right before he throws. He doesn't set them, and he sails it high, and it's like what, what – what do you practice all week if you can't, you know, then do it? Then he came out in that second half. I'll give him credit. He he made simple he reads and yeah, he did his three step drops and he actually looked, you know, fundamentally sound. It it's I was amazed it was the same guy. So to that end, I, I again I, I've been low on him since we drafted him, but I there's moments like that when I, I say he's coming around for me, but I, I still, you know, I'm gonna have Aren't that. you a Sam Darnold guy? Uh, no, Josh Rosen, but we don't need to get into that right now. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's just focus on the present. I, I'll say like, yeah, Darnold's another what guy. I uh, believe he is a backup for, he's not with the Dolphins anymore, is he? He's not with the Dolphins anymore. They, they got rid of him, right? When they got Tua, Tua starting too. That's, I didn't even, what happened with them? Uh, they on by, oh, they're on bye this week, so his first time. I forgot. This is actually one of my worst nightmares because I don't really want to talk about them this round, but Josh Rosen is in Tampa learning under TB12. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, Tampa actually, yeah, they are looking very good. Bad for my regular season win under. And, and my I, – I, I was a big fan of fade the Bucks, you know, ride the Patriots, and that yeah, does not – Yeah, the Patriots. It's not does, looking good. doesn't look great, but, again, we don't need to get into that. Let's be positive here. I already got my negativity out of the way on Baker. Um, so, no, I, I will say this. he He's done a, a solid job, and the Browns as a whole, 5-2. and two, it, it, There's nothing holistically that you can really pick at. You know, if you got told you were 5-2, and two, I would have probably slapped you in the face. I, I probably would have, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, I feel good about the Browns' win total over right now, over 8.5. We got Las Vegas this week before the bye. Um at home, it'd, it'd be great to be six and two in the first half of the season. I mean, I'm just really hoping. For, and the, the Raiders are hot and cold. Derek Carr, you never know what you're going to get. It's a fun player to watch just because he's he, all the time. He's trying as well. But I'm going to talk a little bit about Baker here, real quick. He has a little, a been, little more. I think pretty dang good this year. I think he's been pretty dang good. I mean. He's he's tied sixth in touchdown passes now. Big game. Our offense is see scoring on eighty percent scoring touchdowns on eighty percent of possessions. We're two and zero in the fourth quarter when we're trailing in one possession games. Our two losses are against the number one points per game defense and the number one yards per game defense, the Ravens and Steelers. And our defense has actually given up the second most points in the NFL this year. 
and we're still five and two. Got to give the quarterback some credit for getting these wins, I think. And he's ninth in QBR, just behind Russell Wilson at number eight, who is the MVP right now, if you ask me. Vegas, I think, would agree with you. Um, so on on Wilson to be the MVP. Um, but yeah, no, those those are fun stats. That's the funny thing about statistics. You can twist them any way you want, but that, that is good support for Baker. Yeah, he's 27th in passing yards. I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like some of those are not impressive. They're not because they are. But to that extent, it, that doesn't really change my viewpoint from from the the sake of um, you know on the big stage, Steelers and Ravens have exposed him. That's that's fine. That he's going to get more chances at that. All right, and so I'm not going to sit here yep. and complain. I've we've already talked about Baker too much for my own liking. So uh, scoping around the rest of the NFL. Uh, Packers bounce back with a win over the Texans, kind of a commanding one. Um, the Seahawks and Cardinals, that was a crazy Sunday night football game. I know you had uh, plenty of action on that one uh, with the Cardinals. Um, yeah, always always a fan of Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, and uh, they got it done. Um, I thought DK Metcalf made the play of the game when he made that tackle on the pick. That should have been pick six, 100-yard return. Um, and then it turns into zero points for the Cardinals, but Zane Gonzalez redeems himself in overtime after his his miss um, gets it done uh, with a few seconds left on the clock. So it was, it was great to get that win, Seahawks' first loss of the season. But yeah, I mean the the NFL has been exciting. Uh, the the NFC East is still still pretty pretty bad, and uh, the NFC West though is really good. They're all they're all above five hundred. That is. That is uh, Breathtaking analysis, Frank. Now let's go into golf. Uh, now, seriously, though, the, the, the NFC East is piss poor, and that's what you got on Sunday Night Football this week. So, uh, may, you know, maybe make some other plans. You really don't need to watch that. If, if you go to bed early. Yeah, actually, yeah, everyone could use a little more sleep. Uh, just quickly want to shout out on the golf scene. Don't even want to, you know, focus on it that much. Patrick Campbell. You got to your turn horn. Yeah, I, I guess I can. Patrick Cantlay was plus 1,100 down. Uh, three strokes going into championship sun- the Zozo Championship Sunday, and I said, you know what, you know JT Justin Thomas was up there uh, at at minus nineteen as the leader. Uh, John Rahm was close behind him at minus eighteen. I go, those guys have been winning too much lately. Give me another big name that has not won in a little while. And so I took Cantlay, and he goes out there and has a career best nine birdie uh, championship Sunday. And he goes goes on to win that championship. So just wanted to tip the cap to Patrick. I think that was his third PGA Tour win or something like that. Uh, that's a guy that I, I think you're right. I don't think he's up there with the big dogs in terms of the respect that they get. Uh, but he he certainly is a guy that has had his fair share of top top ten, top five finishes. Um, so Patrick, great job, well done. Glad beat for me. Uh, Frank, I don't know if your glad beat was the Cardinals. Honestly, that that was a uh, well. I remember I told you on Cantley after like thirteen holes when he was still top, down one. So yeah, I, I, I got a little bit of the. I got. A, I didn't get plus eleven hundred, but I got plus two fifty. You know, okay. it, was, it was decent odds. So, um, so, still yeah. something to write home about. Another guy. I mean, we have the Masters in three weeks, so that's very exciting. But another guy, I just want to shout out. And I, have you heard of this guy before this season, Ryan Palmer? This guy has been in top tens all year long. I think he finished 19 under this weekend. He, he, he's, a, he's a veteran, but I, I just don't recall ever hearing about him, but he has been great this year. Yeah. He's and I just been, want to shout him out. He's been great ever since I took him in a matchup early on in the season, and he blew it by getting a nine on a par three. And guess what? That that sticks with me. remember that. 
that that stink <laughs> that sticks with me, and he's been great ever since. And I will fade him to eternity. You, who gets a nine, oh, a three in professional golf? No, he is like on the wrong side of forty. Uh, he's a big Texas A and M guy. I know he carries around like a his like green reading thing says Gigum. Uh, no, but I, I'm excited for the Masters. We'll we'll delve more into that in a future episode. I think you know we're we're trying to speed through these Franks to to crank them out for our listeners, and I think it's time we get into that election market talk because um, it's going to be an exciting week in the markets. Because I'll tell you what, if there's one thing that markets don't like, it's uncertainty, and that's exactly what we have going into this election. Yeah, we have a bit of bit of uncertainty. Um, the you know the polls are definitely favoring Biden, but. The polls also favored Clinton in 2016, so you're not really sure what you're going to get. But the market has been calm, actually, the past few weeks. Uh, last week, it was a modest decline, but today we actually saw a little volatility to the downside. I think uh, the S&P 500 was, was down real big intraday, had a nice finish to the day, still closed down over 1%. But uh, I want to talk about some of the predictability from the market, actually, of who's going to win. Um, so how about this? Since... 1984, 100% of, okay, this is, I got to read this. When returns are positive, the incumbent party wins 100% of the time since 1984. In the, in the three months leading up to the election. Phew. And right. so far, <laughs> yeah, I, it's hard. It's, I, I'm struggling to get the words out here. But as of Monday's close, the market is just up about 4% since August. So that's favoring Trump. However, in the last 100 years, there's only been one president who has won re-election when there was a recession in the two years leading up to the re-election. And that was Calvin Coolidge way back when. Uh, so that actually favors Biden, the fact that there there has been this uh, COVID shutdown and economic recession that we've seen throughout this year, even though we've had a strong, strong bounce back, as, as we all know. So it's interesting to see, but yeah, obviously heightened volatility in I think I thought this was an interesting tidbit, though. Historically, U.S. stocks perform better during an election year compared to the year after. But the opposite is true for international equities. They actually perform better the year after the U.S. election. Wow. That, that is a stat that I wouldn't necessarily expect either. Um, and I guess I wonder, because I suppose in election years, there's change more often than not, just in terms of people. You know, usually it's either someone has run out of their eight years or you're getting a switch after four. So maybe the fact that there is change and uncertainty that comes with that could be a reason for that. I, I don't know. That's kind of me spitballing. Um, but I, I guess it, it's interesting in this year, especially in that, you know, you talk about there being a recession and, you know, if a president were able to completely control avoiding that. In this case, it, you know, it's a global pandemic, which I guess other elections that would be co comparable would be kind of World War and uh, Great Depression era. I really don't think there's anything else that would really compare closely um, to, to a year like this. So, I mean, we're not here again. We, we say this all the time, almost as a disclaimer. We don't have advice necessarily around it. Um, but uh, maybe the, the volatility we've seen, you know, you said it's been quiet as of late and we saw so much of it early on with the pandemic. I wonder if this is one of those years where it, it might not be as uh, sharp of a you know, turn one way or another based on what we see, uh, because, you know, there are a lot of people out there that say, oh, with Biden, you know, he's going to increase corporate taxes uh, it'll reduce profits and thus affect earnings. And a lot of people think, oh, that's going to tank stocks horribly uh, from the same token. 
Biden also probably has a little bit um, a better, you know, relationship uh, in terms of trade, like, you know, trade agreements and stuff like that. Uh, and that, uh, you know, those will be eased and there probably will be less tensions, you know, say with China or something like that. Yeah. Um, but the market's done better. The market's done well under under higher taxes than what we have now, too. So I, I definitely think the market's not too afraid of whoever wins. I, I still hold the long term view that the U.S. economy is just an unstoppable force, unbelievable machine. And it's it's going to keep humming. Uh, it might not hum just straight up, but it's going to keep humming. Uh, and we're going to we're going to have a good, a good long term. So any any downside volatility like today? I bought a couple shares of Cisco, lowering my my buy-in cost, a little dollar cost averaging on on my guy Zajo's company here. Um, but yeah, that's 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 kind of my take. No no comment. I'm obligated to say no comment <laughs> there. Um, I I guess that's a fair way to look at it. I wonder if there's just emotional bias on your side. I think there is on mine too. In terms of unstoppable force, we've been we you know. I suppose we were a little bit too young to be investing by the time, you know, the 08 recession hit and everything. Um, so like since we've started paying attention to it on a more heightened scale, things have been good. So, you know, up until this year, essentially. So to that extent, I, I, I probably feel very closely to, to the way you do in, in the long term. Uh, but I just yeah. think from a short term perspective, hey, if you're trying to like do options or something based on this election, I think you know, I don't think you're going to see the jumps that you might see because uh, I don't think it's as drastic as a change as, you know, people might think, given given the things that could offset each other, like, you know, different factors, whether it be tax rates, whether it be trade relationships, you name it. Um, yeah. So I, talk to your fiduciary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not not either of us. Well, if you want to talk right, about it with us, we're, we're happy to chat. Yep. It's time for our two minute drill. Are you ready? I got to insert a siren sound there. So if I if that's edited in, hope, hopefully you guys appreciate that. If not, it's okay. I, I'm a busy guy. All right. Well, first off, we have Bitcoin. It is pumping, James. I don't know if you noticed, but it's at two-year highs, hanging out over $13,000. And that's after PayPal announced plans to integrate the cryptocurrency and others into their payment network. That's making me a happy man. I think it's up about 86% year-to-date. Uh, and that's because PayPal has like 500 million plus active active users. So it uh, could just bring a lot more people into the cryptocurrency space. That's an interesting thing there. Um, I'm still buying. I still think uh, we're going to see new all-time highs. 13K is still about, um, I don't even want to know, 70% underneath the, the 20K high. Doing some quick quick math. But let's go over some buy or sells. Early voting. I mean, huge buy. Come on. you've see, If you haven't heard about early voting... Uh, you have not looked at the internet, your TV, anything as of late. Uh, I think that's been, or, or Instagram for that matter. Uh, so I think it was funny. Bill Burr came on to uh, Saturday Night Live and he gave kind of a controversial uh, monologue or whatever on there. But he talked about how like Black Lives Matter became a, uh, you know, a white women thing and everything like that. <laughs> um, and he was tying voting into that too. It, it's funny. It. The political nature around election years, it drives me nuts because I'm just trying to watch a sports game and, and I'm not a political, I'm very much apolitical, I would I'd argue, Frank, but yeah, it's, it's uh, the jokes and satire that are able to come out of it. Fantastic stuff. So huge buy on actually voting. Um, so I'm not saying like yeah, don't vote. Over 60 million early voters already. Um, 
which is a pretty decent amount considering I think in 2016 there was about 180 million voters. But we're we're running out of time here. Zane Gonzalez, I'm coming <laughs> in. Um, he you know he he struggled early in overtime. If if he didn't get another chance, he'd be a huge sell. But he he got to redeem himself by portable yeah. dishwashers. Well, give me I a got second. Give me a second on Zane. I met the guy once. Nice guy. He goes to church every Sunday, or so I've been told. Also, so man of faith. And guess what? He got a second chance. He's making the most of it in Arizona. Yeah, portable dishwashers. Uh, literally, it's what it is. A portable dishwasher, huge buy for me. I, I didn't have a dishwasher in the place I'm living now, and we found one on Facebook Marketplace for thirty dollars, and it works better than our old dishwasher. I love our it. Built it. All right, we hit the two minute time, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop. We're going to wrap it up pretty quick here because overtime. Uh, it's like Zane. It is overtime. Wow, good, pretty good stuff out of you there. Um, buy a Halloween candy, James. Uh, take five. Sell a Halloween candy. Whew. I mean, Almond Joy is the obvious answer, but you're not – in terms of selling, I don't think it has a ton of value for what you're going to sell. So I'll, let me do something a little bit more controversial, and I'll say Reese's Puffs. Or they're just Reese's. Reese's not Reese's Puffs. That's a cereal. Reese's Pieces? I was going to some Reese's Pieces right before uh, <laughs> this, this podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the small Hershey. It's like a little thicker than the actual Hershey bars. Huge fan of those. Uh, I'm not selling any Halloween candy. I like it all. And then how about this? Buy or sell giving out stuff that is not candy to trick-or-treaters. I remember getting some dimes back in the day. Dimes? Some brochures. I mean, yeah, like literally like change. And some money. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was a nice family down the street from us that literally would invite us in and give us cookies and apple cider. You know, So it was like a 10-minute stop at that house every time. Uh <laughs> But no, I, I, I'm all for it. I just don't give me an apple. Don't don't do any of that BS. I think was that I might hand out some uh, some pay to play podcast stickers. Get get the young get the younger generation listening to the pod. We have stickers. <laughs> we have stickers. No, no. All right, we, I'll, have okay. get, I'll have to get them by by the weekend. Okay. Actually, I think trick or treating's Thursday here. But <laughs> all right, guys, we appreciate everyone listening. James, what is the song of the week to leave the people with? We were talking Taylor Swift. We were talking Ra Ra Riot, an alternative band. But I'm gonna go. Just complete 180 degrees. Uh, it is Halloween season, so the the Monster Mash, I think, is what we chose last year. This year, we're going to go with Michael Myers, uh, the theme from from the Halloween movie. Um, and I, if all goes well, you will have heard that at the top of the episode, uh, if I'm able to learn it in you know the next couple hours tonight. Uh, what is funny with that is the Browns used to play it before every third down. So you'd hear, it's third down, and then, boom, the Michael Myers music would come in, and... Almost, you'd hear it so many times a game because we'd always get to third down, give up the conversion. Team would keep moving. Like they just convert on third down every time. Uh, but that's I, I love that song because it's just scary and it gives me that kind of memory to laugh about. Great pick. Great pick. Everyone have a great Halloween weekend. Stay safe. Have fun. Keep buying the dip. Go Browns.